Good morning to Central Church of the Nazarene. Today is the first Sunday in Lent, and we're starting a brand new sermon series called Enough that will take us all the way up till, till Palm Sunday. Enough. I thought about calling it Enough is Enough or, or How Much is Enough, but the reality is in our culture, we, have a, we live in a culture of excess. We have stuff, lots and lots of stuff. In the, in the bumper, it mentioned how, how there are Between McDonald's and Starbucks combined, there are 26,300 Starbucks and McDonald's combined in the United States. There are also 48,500 storage unit facilities in the United States. It's just kind of remarkable to me when I I read that stuff. And this isn't a sermon against storage units, you know, that's fine. But I'm just pointing out the fact that we have a lot of stuff. And and, 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 and there's a pervasive... Sickness throughout our land. It's not measles or mumps or, 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 or the common cold. It's the sickness of not enough. The sickness of needing more. The sickness of, of not being satisfied with what we have. It, it's always some, there's something else out there. Something better. Something more. Something cooler. Uh, some new adventure that I have to take. And Jesus warned us that, that that would be the death of us, really. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus said this. Very important question he asked. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? Jesus is saying, think about it. Just just think about it. You could gain everything this whole world has to offer, but but to forfeit your soul, is it worth it? Paul described the sickness this way in his letter to Timothy. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There's a sickness in our land, a fatal disease, if you will, that will pierce our soul with many griefs. It's contagious, it's catchy, it's dangerous. It's the sickness of not enough. Jesus addressed this, this issue in Luke chapter 12. It wasn't where he was headed on going. Luke chapter 12 describes uh, uh, Jesus is beginning to teach some of his disciples and a huge, huge crowd comes. In fact, Luke says that there are so many people that they're, they're stepping on each other. They're, they're all around them. There's thousands of people there. Jesus is, is trying to teach his disciples, but there's all these people all around. They all come to hear Jesus. And so Jesus is preaching, teaching to his disciples, and he's teaching them, you know, just a, a, a basic theology lesson, I guess. He's teaching them in, in the beginning of Luke 12, a little bit about the Pharisees, you know, watch out for them. And a little bit about the Holy Spirit, allow God to, to work uh, through the Holy Spirit. And he's just, it's just a basic theological sermon. This wasn't in his sermon notes, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because in the middle of this teaching, in the crowd all around, and they're all quiet, they, they wanted to hear what Jesus was saying to his disciples. A guy in the crowd uh, yells out to Jesus and he says, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. It's totally out of left field. This isn't what Jesus, he's not preaching a sermon on family relations. He's preaching on, on, you know, the Pharisees and the Holy Spirit at work. And this guy, hey, Jesus, I don't care about that religious mumbo jumbo. I don't need any theology. I need you to go tell my brother to start acting right and give me my portion of my father's estate. And Jesus looks at the guy and, and says, who am I, Judge Judy? I, I'm in the middle of a sermon here. Next week, I'll be talking about family relations. This is, I'm talking about the Pharisees and the Holy Spirit, stuff like that. And, 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 and the, he goes on to say, and this is what he really said, but it really is saying, my judge, friend, who made me the judge over you to decide such things as that? 
But then he said this about greed. He gets to the heart of the problem. He said, the problem isn't your brother. The problem is greed. And Luke 12, 15 says, beware, guard against all kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told a story. Now, if Jesus would have stopped right there, looking at this guy who's got a problem with his brother, says, listen, the problem is greed. And we would have all said, yeah, that's right. The problem is greed. Don't be greedy. We all know that. Don't be greedy. We've all seen Wall Street way, way back when, when Gordon Gecko said greed is good. But we know greed is not good because at the end of the movie, he went to jail. Greed is bad. So yeah, Jesus, you tell him greed is, greed is bad. But Jesus then goes on to tell a story that expounds on what he's talking about. And the story is called The Rich Fool. Now, when you hear the title of the story, that gives you a clue as to where Jesus is heading with this. We might want to be rich, but we don't want to be a fool. And this is a story of The Rich Fool. I'm going to read it for you, but I, when you read it on the screen, I underlined, I underlined all the personal pronouns because I think that's part of this guy's problem. Here we go. Verse 16, Luke 12. A rich man had a fertile farm, produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones. And I'll have room for, to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend. He's talking to himself in the third person, which is always kind of weird. My friend, you have not stored away years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You'll die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. This guy has a problem, a big problem. And his problem is he is, is deeply affected by the way he perceives things. He has this disease, this sickness of not enough. His problem is he thinks his life consists of the things that we possess. He thinks life is all about the stuff that we have, the sicknesses Uh, the sickness of having not enough. And it affects us. It's not just him. It affects us. We all have stuff. Every one of us, I do, you do. We have stuff. We got to have stuff. We want it. We buy it. We, 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 We display it. We insure it. We keep it. We compare it. We all have stuff. And I told you, you know, 45,000 or 48,000 storage units. Again, I'm not preaching on that. In the 1960s, that wasn't even an industry, storage units. And, and now, Americans spend every year $37.5 billion a year putting their stuff in those things. Building, Jesus would have said, building bigger, bigger barns. Maybe one of the great collectors of stuff in the United States history is a guy named William Randolph Hearst. Some of you may have been to the William Randolph Hearst Castle in California. William Randolph Hearst, uh, for $25, you can go into his castle and see all the things, the stuff that he collected. He has a 90,000 square foot estate, 56 bedrooms, 41 fireplaces, 61 bathrooms. How does anybody's house need 61 bathrooms? He's got 19 sitting rooms. He has 3,500-year-old Egyptian sculptures and Flemish tapestries and, and one of the greatest art collections in the, in the world. And he collected all this stuff over his 88 years. And then you know what happened to William Randolph Hearst? He died. It happens. Death rate is 100%. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And now people can flap down their $25 and go through his, whatever I said, 88,000 square foot house and see all 61 of his bathrooms and say, wow, this dude had a lot of stuff. Jesus said there's more to life than collecting stuff. 
And Jesus, point, he, he made that same point in the Sermon on the Mount. You, you get the idea. Because Jesus talks a lot about this, that it's important to him. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desire of your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In other words, Jesus is saying, who's it going to be in your life, God or stuff? And I wish, I wish, I wish every one of us would say, well, of course the 21st phenomenon that I'm talking about. Do you remember, I preached, I think I preached here, maybe I didn't, on, on a guy named Demas. Does anyone remember Demas? Demas was a close associate of Paul. In fact, he was one of Paul's inner circle. In fact, he was, when Paul mentions him, Paul was in prison in the, around the year 60 AD, and he wrote letters to, to Philemon and to the Colossian church. And in both of those letters, he talks about Demas. In the same breath that he talks about Luke and Mark. That's pretty good company to be in, Luke and Mark. You know, both of those guys wrote, wrote you know, between the two of them, they wrote three books in your, in your New Testament. So that's pretty good company, right? And Demas is, is right there. He's right with them. Well, Paul eventually got, got out of prison and he went on his fourth missionary journey until Nero had him arrested and tossed in prison one last time. He's going to be executed. And just before that execution, Paul writes another letter, a letter that we call Second Timothy. And in the six years between Colossians and Philemon and 2 Timothy, Paul changes his opinion of Demas. Because this is what he tells Timothy. He says, please come as soon as you can. One of the saddest lines in the Bible. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. I want to shake Demas and say, Demas, how could you desert Paul? I mean, you were in the inner circle. You were Matthew or Mark and Luke and Paul, and, and, and you saw these things, and you saw the, what Paul was doing in the ministry he had. Demas, what's wrong? How could you desert him for the things of this life? Are you kidding me? You were with Paul. It happens. Jesus said it. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Demas lost sight of the, true, of the true treasure. Let me put it this way. Suppose for spring break, you decide you're going to go to Florida. And you're going to go to Cocoa Beach because you like the dark beach of Cocoa Beach. And so you're going to go there and you make reservations at the Cocoa Beach uh, Super 8. I don't even know if there is a Super 8 in Cocoa Beach, but let's just say there is. And so you make your reservations. You can't wait. You're going to go to Florida. You're going to get out of this cold and wet and yucky Michigan weather and go down to Florida for spring break. And you're going to have fun. And you got your reservations at the, at the Cocoa Beach Super 8. And so, in, and really, you know, you don't really care much about the Super 8 because you're planning on spending most of your time on Cocoa Beach. You know, and so you're going to go there and hang out and maybe take a day trip over to Disney World. And it's going to be wonderful. You'll see Mickey Mouse and you'll get a lot of sun. It'll be great. All you need in the Super 8 is to have a comfortable bed and it be clean. A uh, few bed bugs, please. Um, you know, it'll be nice. And so you get to the Super 8 and you give them your, you know, whatever it is, $89 a night. And, and they give you the room key and you go and you open it up. And you look inside and, you know, you like shag carpet as much as the next guy. But, you know, it was the draperies, the bedspreads, the shag carpet. It's all circa 1974. And, and you look around and you say, ah, you know, I like the Brady Bunch. I love 1974, but I don't know that I like this. So now, would you, would you, would you 
would you run down to Walmart and, and pick up, you know, some new bedspreads, some new towels, some new drapes? Maybe run over to Best Buy. That, you know, in the Super 8, there's just a little 19-inch uh, TV with the, the, the remote control's not even there, which is, you know, when I was a kid, I was the remote control. You know, Rob changed the channel. Um, so, you know, you could live with it. But there, so would you run over to Walmart or Best Buy, get a, you know, 55-inch TV? Would you, would you go to the carpet store and say, listen, here's my room number. Please go and re-carpet Super 8 number 114. It's crazy. You never redecorate the Super 8. As long as the bed isn't lumpy and there's not many bed bugs and, you know, you can clean up there, you know, you'll do okay. It'd be great. No one would, no one in their right mind would redecorate the Super 8. You're only going to be there a week. It's just a temporary dwelling. You're not there for very long at all. And I think that's Jesus' point. Why would we waste our money on a temporary residence? And Jesus' question, when he questions us in the Sermon on the Mount, or in this passage, or, or think, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? He's saying, why are you decorating the Super 8? You're only there for, for 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years at most. You're going to spend a whole lot more time in eternity. Think about it, Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, smart people don't waste their time and money on a temporary dwelling. Smart people store up treasures in heaven. Smart people live their lives for something bigger than right here. Smart people invest in things eternal. What's eternal? God and people, that's all there is. You see, the rich fool got it all wrong. He thought he had all the time in the world. He didn't. He thought all his stuff was his. It wasn't. He was saying, what am I going to do with my wheat, my stuff, my things, my, 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 my. And Jesus said, you fool. Your life is going to be taken this very night. Now, I know, I know, I know. When preachers preach sermons like this, you know, I get questions afterwards. Well, preacher, do I tithe on the, on the gross or the net? Or, you know, does God understand? I got bills, 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 bills. What do I do? You know, is it okay? And the question really seems to be to me is, you know, what's the least I can get by and still make God happy? You know, what is it? This, this Tuesday, Carl and I will celebrate 31 years of marriage, which I would have been good if I would have remembered that about three weeks ago when I invited people over to our house on Tuesday night. But if you're coming, I'm glad you're coming. Um, and we'll celebrate some other time. It'll be okay. And I don't know what 31 years is. 25 years is silver, right? And gold is 50th anniversary. Um, 31 is, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know what. But imagine I went up to Carla and said, listen, Carla, I don't know what 31 years of marriage you're supposed to celebrate. And so, you know, I know 25 is silver and 50 is gold, but 31, it's, you know, it's 31. So what's the least I can do? What's the least I can do that, you know, would not get you mad at me, you know, but what's the least I could do that would turn your mood ring happy and not turn my, black, my eye black? What's the least I could do? How do you think she would feel about that? I think I'd be eating at your house for dinner today. I think, I think sometimes, I wonder if God feels the same way about our questions. Jesus is saying, be rich in the things toward God. Be, be, be rich in the things of God. Don't be a river, not a reservoir. Be a place where God's blessings can flow through you onto others. Keeping in sight things eternal, not things temporary. 
What's eternal? God and people, that's it. I've had so many conversations with people down through the years. I, pastor, it's not just relating to money. The pastor, you know, I can't give this, or I can't go, I can't serve. You know, I'm so busy, I can't do this. I think like the rich fool. Too often we think that what I have, my time, my talents, my treasure, my whatever, it's mine. And Jesus is saying, no, it's, it's really not. See, the, the rich fool in Luke 12, he thought his blessings were just for him. He didn't realize his blessings were to be shared. The story could have been totally different. You know, Jesus could have told the story the opposite way. He could have said, said something like, there was a rich man, if there's no sin in being a rich man, there's a rich man whose fertile crop, whose fertile farm produced fine crops. And again, the story could have been, and he thought to himself, wow, God has really blessed me. I don't know that God has ever blessed my, my farm with this, this, much, this many crops. Lord, what am I going to do with this, this overabundance of blessings? I know what I'll do. Lord, how about this? I got a plan. How about if we build bigger barns and we're going to store the wheat in those bigger barns and then we'll have people come and we can kind of be a distribution center and they can come and I can give them seeds and maybe some training on how to have their farm do as well as my farm and we can train them and then they can take a few of those seeds and they can plant it at at their farm and their farm will be blessed and then they can bless somebody else and then they can bless somebody else. Lord, how, how does that sound? Let's do that with all of this tremendous blessing. See, I just had to think that if that had been the blessing and if that would have been his approach, the end of the story would have been far, far different. Remember Jesus' words. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth and not have a rich relationship towards God. One of the richest people that I've ever had the privilege of pastoring was a guy named Ralph. Ralph did not, he was not a CEO of a major corporation. He was not a world-renowned surgeon. He... Um, he didn't invent, you know, uh, something. In fact, well, before I met Ralph, he filed for bankruptcy. I thought you said he was the richest. He was. See, he filed for bankruptcy. He, he had a restaurant, and Ralph had a big heart. And people would come into his restaurant, and they'd be hungry, and they wouldn't have money, and so Ralph would feed them. He wouldn't just give them scraps out of the, out of the garbage. He'd feed them a regular meal. You know, and when you run a restaurant, you're supposed to be selling food, not giving food away. And so the restaurant went belly up. And Ralph became a cabinet builder. He didn't make much money, but he was, he was really good. And Ralph, Ralph died very unexpectedly. I did his funeral probably 20 years ago. And I remember, I remember the day before Ralph died. He had been in a car accident, and so I went to see him. And then there ended up, they didn't know there was complications from that car accident. He died the very next day. But I went to see him to see, see how he was doing. He was, we all thought he was doing fine. And he, we, were in the middle, we were in the middle of a building project at the church that I was pastoring at the time. We were uh, building a new sanctuary. And Ralph, the big-hearted but busted uh, man, said, Pastor, I've been thinking, you know, because we were doing like a pledge drive. And he said, I, I think what I'll do is... Um, for the pledge drive is I'll build all the I'll build all the pews. Yeah. I don't know if you know this pews are expensive, and I don't know how easy I'm. You know I can't build anything, but 
and we needed a lot. I said, Ralph, there's no way, there's no way you can build these, those pews. He goes, oh, sure I can. He goes, and I guarantee you they'll be better than any furniture store that you ever, that you ever go to. He goes, I'll build the pews. That's the last thing Ralph told me. The next day, uh, he died in his doctor's office. His funeral was the largest funeral that that church had had, had while I was the pastor. There were people from all over that came, to, came, and everyone had a story about Ralph. Ralph was a big, big man, bigger heart. I had so many people. I had so many, you know, usually when you're a pastor and you're preparing a funeral, you know, and you talk to the family and they give you a few stories. I, I was inundated with Ralph's stories. People coming up to me and saying, saying yeah, we were getting ready to go on vacation, and, and Ralph just slipped a 20 in our hand and said, hey, go out to dinner on me. Or, yeah, our car broke down. We didn't know, you know, what we were going to do. And Ralph came over, and, and he fixed our car. He could do a lot of things. Yeah, we were doing this fix-it project, and it was bigger than I thought, so I called up Ralph, and he wouldn't take anything. He just came, and, and he was helping us. I heard story after story after story. Not one of them included uh, anything about his mansion that he lived in. No one spoke of his fleet of cars. No one told of, 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 of all of those type of things because he didn't have any of that. What did he have? He was rich. He was rich toward the things of God. He viewed people as, as his brothers and sisters. And he had a huge heart. He was, a, he was the person that Jesus is talking about here. He was storing up treasures, not here on earth. He went bankrupt here on earth. He was storing up treasures in heaven. And everyone, everyone came to his funeral. We were, I mean, it was packed. Why? Because he had touched so many lives. That's Jesus' point. Are you storing up stuff? Or are you storing up treasures in heaven? Are, 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 you, are you focused on Jesus, not just during the season of Lent, but in your life? One more story before we go. Ivan the Great um, was the Russian czar in the 15th century. And he's the one who really put together um, Russia as we know it, through his conquering and battles. And he was uh, quite the warrior. In fact, he was so consumed with, with gaining new territory that he never took time to, to, to get a wife. And so some of his trusted aides came to him and says, told him, said, Ivan, you, you've got to find a wife. And he said, I'm too busy conquering territories to find a wife. You find me a wife. And if you say she's good, then I'll marry her. And so, so they did. They went out and they found a wife. The princess, uh, the daughter of the queen of Greece. And so they came back. They said, we found a perfect wife for you. She's the princess of Greece, the daughter of the king of Greece, and she is willing to marry you. And so Ivan said, if you say she's great, that's great. And they, and they said, well, there's only one problem. In order for you to marry her, you have to become Greek Orthodox. And he says, oh, okay, I'll become Greek Orthodox. If you think she's the right one, I'll become Greek Orthodox. And so, but he said, but it's not just going to be me. It's going to be me and my 500 uh, most trusted uh, warriors, soldiers. And so, you know, so Ivan the Great said, you're going to be Greek Orthodox. How's that for evangelism? So 500 of them agreed, okay, we're going to be Greek Orthodox. And so, so the Greek Orthodox Church sent uh, tutors up to Russia and trained all these soldiers as to the, into the Greek Orthodox faith. And then they all went down to Greece, 
and they were going to have this, the, the original big fat Greek wedding. But before they could do that, they all had to be baptized. And so it was a, a powerful moment, really, in history when these 500 Russian soldiers uh, went out into the Mediterranean to be baptized with 500 Greek Orthodox priests and all of their you know, regalia. And they, they all went out into the, into the Mediterranean to be baptized. And they were just about to get baptized when the king of Greece realized there was a problem. And so they stopped the proceedings and he said, we got a problem, what's the problem? In the Greek Orthodox Church, you couldn't be a warrior and a member of the Greek Orthodox Church. Well, that's a problem. They got 500 warriors out in the Mediterranean scene. So they had a quick diplomatic meeting and they came up with a plan. And the plan was, as soon as the priests were ready to, to dunk the soldiers into the Mediterranean and baptize them, the soldiers would take their sword out and lift it high above their head. And so they, they baptized these men. Everything was baptized but their arm and their sword. In history, it's gone down as the day of the unbaptized arm. Everything was covered but their arm and their sword. And I tell you that story because I know, I know some folks, Christians, that I think have unbaptized checkbooks, unbaptized calendars, unbaptized time or talents and gifts and abilities that God has given you. And you viewed them like they're your own. They're not. You've, you've viewed what, what you have and the blessings that God has given you like it's just for you to sit on and to, to, to enjoy for yourself. It's not just for you. But God has gifted you and blessed you so that you might be a blessing to others. See, I never wanted to be said, I don't want to be like Demas. I deserted him because I love the things of this old world. I mean, there's some great things in this world. There's some wonderful things. There's plenty of great sights to see and blessings to have. But none of them, none of them come close to Jesus. Are you kidding me? Our Heavenly Father, it is so easy to get sucked into our world and our culture that says we have to have the newest, brightest, best, whatever. That there's always something more out there that we don't have that we just absolutely have to have. Lord, would you replace some of those thoughts with craving you? Would, you? would you come in and give us the same desire that we might have, the, the latest gizmo, that we might have more and more of you? That you would so fill us with your presence that, that even when we are filled and think, can't think we can be filled anymore, we're still saying, Jesus, I want more of you and more of you. I've had enough of this old world. I need more of you and more of you and more of you. Help us to live our lives in daily surrender to the power and the glory of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen.